Welcome to the MCO Advisors Podcast. In this episode, Corey and Ryan talk about the advantages of organic content and local marketing. What is up? Nothing much. Good morning. Couldn't find my AirPods, so we're going cord today. So it was a weekend. I can't run around in a circle. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I've been since we've been doing so much going live and trying to focus on LinkedIn and stuff. I know I'm big on posting all the time, but uh, I find myself shutting off a little bit more on the weekend and feeling more ready to go during the week. So I kind of, um, but I've been, but I've had fun. Been hanging out with the kids, obviously. Now that my, my son's three months old, so he's laughing and doing a little bit yeah. more. Makes it a little bit more fun. Absolutely. Um, have you, I was wondering, are you done with the 365 days a week posting? Uh, you know, I, I got to go back and start counting and I'm going to update like frequently. I just didn't, I just stopped, I, I, I guess, announcing it. I kept doing it, but um, just didn't make it the focus anymore. You know, that was something I think I was using to push myself, get going. Um, but, you know, doing the show every day and I don't know, I just focused on something else. So yes, yeah. I, I switched my, switched my goal. I hear you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the clip that we shared last night. Um, yeah. Kristen Shea clip. Yeah. Four job, or five. Man. It's awesome. Yeah. It came out good. Um, the four or five kind of tips on how to extend your brand on LinkedIn. Um, you know, people have been really engaged in it. And uh, a few of the comments, though, I want to share and, and run by you. People feel like they need to rethink what they're doing. And, and I want to know how that lands with you. I think everybody should, there's some, I think with this, what we've been talking about recently is the difference between posting all the time and strategy. And I think there has to be a little bit of both, right? It doesn't always have to be strategy, but it doesn't just have to be, uh, I guess, aimless posting where it feels like you don't know what you're saying or why you're saying it, or, or when you're thinking, what does it mean to provide value? You're just, you're just posting to post. I mean, sometimes I do that and some of the posts Mm -hmm. do well. So I think what we're getting at is, it's un- it's good to understand the algorithm, but as soon as you start knowing it, you try to start gaming it, and then it changes what you're saying, and that's a dangerous slippery slope to go down because you start losing your authenticity of your message because you end up trying to game what you're learning, which is through which is the LinkedIn algorithm. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Even since we had her on and talked to her, I've put a couple things out, and I've had to actually cognitively think about not going down the road of gaming it and just putting out what I intended to put out because yeah. I was writing it and I was like, wait a minute, this probably won't do well. And I was like, it doesn't matter. This is how I post. She also gave us a lot of good tips on what made it more watchable for people. And I think at the end of the day, if people are enjoying it and they're sitting there, you have to understand that some part of the algorithm is going to be calculating. If you're, if you're watching an entire three minute video and everybody who watches you watches that whole video, that's doing something to the algorithm, sure. right? So it's, it's like, if you can make that entertaining or consumable to other people in terms of how you did it with like jump cuts and just add, making it the little thing at the beginning, making it more fun to watch. Um, plus, it's really good content. It's going to go far. So good, con- good content travels. That's just what it does. Yeah, I guess that's probably a really good way to summarize it. Just good content works. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, But it doesn't mean you can't, I guess, dress it up a little bit because I think you did make it more fun and you put more work into the video. So it, it goes to show... I wonder if we're getting to a point where we're expecting that quality because we're so used to YouTube. We're so used to 
um, these high quality Instagrammers, uh, whatever you want to call them, influencers of everybody having these fancy cameras and, and seeing this high quality, even on the internet, that I don't think it should be excuse for people not to do something. But I wonder if we're not looking for that in the terms that we were for TV, like everybody's looking to scale up and something that doesn't catch your eye unless it's really good content just goes by the wayside. What a good point. When I think about that, I think about it in the, in literally in, in two ways. It's you have to have either such a brand established, like a celebrity brand or a brand that people literally know the words that are going to come out of your mouth are going to be gold to not have a, a certain level of entertainment or production value. Or on the other side, you're an unknown, much like you and I, and have to dress it up and play to people's emotions and the way people want to consume content. Like if you film that in the backyard sitting in a lawn chair and just put it out raw, you and I, that wouldn't go anywhere. Not right? as far, I agree. Not as far as where, it, yeah, it chopped up, especially with having somebody else and a guest and the fact that everybody saw the show. And that's the part that's a little bit marketing to me and strategy is that everybody saw that. A lot of people who liked it were probably there for the segment or saw it for the first time. Regardless, we knew it was a really good spot of the show, but that's kind of, I guess, the little bit of, of, of strategy that comes along with it is that you're, you're highlighting something that we've already done and you're redistributing the content we've already had you know, in a, in a dressed up fashion, but it was so good that it catches new people and people who saw it, 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 it resonates back with them. Like, I remember I was there for that. That's what I think builds demand and builds brand is the people who saw it for the first time, but especially the people who saw it and remember it from watching it on the show with us. You know, mm -hmm. those are people who are following us along. And I think that's the, that's the real demand growth we're getting. Yeah, good point. Um, all right, so today's topic is when organic goes away. So let's not like, oh my God, these guys are beating beating a dead horse. They talked about this a hundred times. All right, this is going to be a little different. Um, mm -hmm. This came to me as an idea last night because I'm thinking about it personally. I'm thinking about it for you and I. I'm thinking about it for our business and I'm thinking about it for our clients and all the folks that we're trying to reach. Um, most people have short-term memory and no one is remembering what 2006 and 2010 were like. And while we had social media, I, I think a lot of people forget that we didn't use it and what it was like to get a message out, if you got your message out at all. And I want advisors who are watching this to think that if they were in business, what they did literally in 2006, 2007. And I imagine the answer is going to be cold calling and door knocking. So the reason that I want to talk about this is because for most, that is not a comfortable activity and they don't want to do that right now to bring in new clients. And what happens is this is all going to go away very quickly. And we're going to go back to the world of either paying advertising or door knocking and cold calling. And um, I have some other thoughts on that. But with that, um, what are your thoughts? Um, that That's kind of where my brain went when we started discussing this topic was, I guess, to me, you know, door knocking and cold calling will always be there. Um, I think about the fact that every platform is going to just have to be advertised on. Obviously, you're just going to have to spend money. Um, once LinkedIn becomes something like Facebook or Instagram, the uh, only thing people are going to be talking about is TikTok, but most advisors aren't going to be able to go there unless you're an RIA and you can control your own by the time the next organic platform pops up. Um, that's why I think we're so big on beating the dead horse and talking about using it and trying to post. Because I think, again, it, you're talking to two people, I think, when we're when we're saying post or, or think about quality and all this stuff. Some people just don't post at all and need that little boost uh, to, to do something. 
and I think other people are um, are are slowly posting, realizing they they but they want a little more direction, how to improve the quality, all that stuff. Uh, I I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting to see where this goes. I think paid advertising is going to be a, a specialty that continues to grow because when the organic grows away, I think everybody's going to start looking back to Facebook if it's still cheaper and realizing like how do I try this and what do I do and then but everybody's going to be there, including big companies. So. It's a matter of what, what do you think? How, how do you think people prepare for something like that? Well, that's where my head goes. And that's why I want to talk about it. And that's why I don't think people are prepared for it. Like when I got into marketing, I, I was I came out of school and my early years, 2005, 2006, we literally sent print mailing, print postcards, and email was just getting started. So it was literally you're paying to ship paper products to your clientele. And then if you wanted to ratchet that up, you had to pay to be in front of people via billboards, commercials, radio, you know, all the traditional media. And I think what has happened, and I think everyone on this who's watching this would agree, is we've all taken for granted that anytime you want to market, you can just go on one of the six social platforms and post something. And you can check a box that says, I did it. I marketed. It's always available to me. Well, the difference is between now and even rewinding five years ago is no one is seeing anything you're posting outside of literally one platform if you're doing it really well. So you can post on Instagram, you can post on Facebook, you can post on Twitter, you can post on Snapchat, no one is going to see it. And you know that and everyone watching knows that only your friends, family and those following that page may see it. And even then, they likely won't because it's going to be suppressed as content that people are not interested in. And I think that this idea that we've taken for granted that these social media platforms are free, and they're available to us 24 seven has let people be lazy and take their foot off the gas and not think about building their personal brand equity because I, I really believe the train's coming. And, uh, and when I say the train, I mean the, the paid paid marketing. Uh, the big companies are going to come in here fast and, and hard over the next three years and smash all the little guys out. And you're not going to be able to afford to be in front of people. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I want to say about, I guess, brand and equity that we're talking about is that it is that it travels with you. I feel like if people really care about you, it travels with you. Now, I'll say this, that if you look at somebody who maybe has 50 million followers on Instagram, that doesn't mean they have 50 million on TikTok. They may not be as as important there. So that's kind of goes to show that a lot of people who are famous in one spot need to figure out a way to carry over. And that's like everybody has that has that issue. And how do you grow your business? And how, how do you bring that brand equity with you? And I think that, you know, we always are going to be thinking about where attention is. And that's when it goes back to having simple things made like a website. That's why I talk about like a podcast. There's almost these free places of home base where you can look people up. And then you can always see them, like always get your content, you know, blogs, whether they're in or out, at least there's places people can find you. Um, and that's, you know, we're always we're always wondering what social media platform to be on. But that's why I think it's good for good marketing fundamentals as well. Like definitely take advantage and triple down on where the organic is. But, um, you know, that's why I think we're always ready to adjust. You know, I can't I, I wouldn't accept the fact that MCO is just going to close because LinkedIn stopped its organic reach. So we'd have to find out our next thing, you know, where, where our advisors looking, because if, if LinkedIn isn't here anymore, it just means the attention is somewhere else. So Correct. where would, where would that next place be? It's not like people disappear. Just, it just shifts. It, oh, it shifts and, or you have to pay to be in front of people. And I mentioned right. something to you last week, which tells me 
that it's that this whole thing has not even started yet. When I when I when I think about big brands pouring big dollars into these platforms, I don't think it's even started yet. Now let's take the top five kind of indie and regional broker dealers throughout the country right now and just look at what they're doing on social media. Edward Jones, LPL, Janie Montgomery Scott, Stiefel, Raymond James, um, you name it. These firms do not even have verified corporate Instagram accounts. It's going to be 2021 in like literally 26 days, like, or however many days. Yeah. They don't even have verified LinkedIn or uh, Instagram accounts. So they're four or five years behind on that. And, and, and there's so many other companies and industries that are sitting there with them. And what happens is they're going to get into this thing late, super late, and then they're going to pour big ad dollars into it. And it's going to literally drive the price up be way beyond anything any of us can afford. Yeah. And that's, again, why I think we're so big on telling everybody to lay into LinkedIn is not so much like I'm afraid advisors aren't going to be there for the shift because yeah. the, the broker dealer shifts so slowly, like everybody really adjusts really slowly. Um, I think one of the reasons that, uh, you know, like I said, LPL advisors are doing so well is because they just got social patrol and that happened in the last two years or so. You know, you're wondering like, why did you guys start? It's like, cause they were finally allowed and they mm -hmm. were let, they were, it was like, it was like, you know, opening up the gate uh, and the horse just running out of the stable and just being able to do whatever for a little while, do videos and do all that stuff. And everybody's like gobbling up like brand equity and actually getting clients from it because they started a year ago. Um, so even everybody now where we're saying the organic goes away, um, it's, but it's still there, you know, and that's, that goes back to look, look how your video did, you know, good, good content travels and a good message travels and a brand travels. And it's about making those relationships so that it carries farther than LinkedIn, rather than you just being on LinkedIn, you want people to, whether they want to work with you or like you in some way, they'll follow you wherever that goes. And that's the point of why we're trying to build that value and give back to everybody. And that's where our position always comes from of providing value of that word we always, we always hammer uh, is because I want people to remember us for that, to be able to follow us wherever we go. So let's put a bow on this. What would you say to somebody right now who says, holy shit, I didn't realize kind of the levity of this entire thing. Um, this makes a ton of sense. I'm not very active at all. And I am in a stage where I'm going to need to bring in new clients. This isn't, uh, I can't rest on my laurels. I don't have a book of business that's stable enough that I can just assume that that's going to carry me. Um, I'm going to need to bring in new clients over the next five or 10 years. Oh, five or 10 years. So what, do you, what would you say to them now? They're going to need over the next five or 10 years, they're going to need new clients. And they're telling you right now, they're not as active as they need to be. I think some of the things take longer than others. Like, for example, I was just reading this morning of somebody that I follow that I think is an amazing marketer. And he was mentioning how his podcast took a year before it started to take off. And that's, and that's, I mean, I think it's really good content. It's really focused. Um, and it has a lot of experience and success behind it. And that's still a year of doing that. Now, I still tell advisors to do that because it's it's positioning yourself for 2021, 2022, 2023, because we can all agree that even if door knocking and cold calling is working, it's only going to get worse and harder. More advisors, less, less, more constriction on phones, the same business owners getting getting beat up. And Mitch made a really good point. And it was like, 
if you have less advisors, it's still just as competitive because it means there's less people. Or if there's less people, less population, it means less advisors. But it all equals out in the end. So it's true. And you have to think, what are you doing differently? And I really think most people should be using social media to be local, but still be social, socially local, um, I think is a good topic right now for people to understand. And uh, it, it just goes to show that a lot of the guys in, in the Car- Carolinas, even I know three or four advisors, another one we're working with in North Carolina are all getting clients and they're not tripping over each other, you know? So it's the, it's the, um, what's it? The, what's the mentality? Like the, ab- those, abundance. the abundance mentality. Exactly. So the per capita saturation of advisor to potential client is, or the per capita advisor to um, potential client ratio is saturated, right? Throughout the country, we, we would agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then to think that you're going to step on each other's toes and that there's too many, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, there's a million competitors to us out there. The world is abundant. It's about growing your audience, growing your brand, proving to people you have value beyond the logo and the name and the website, it's the human side of it. And it's the same stuff over and over, but we had to spend 10 minutes on it this morning because it's happening and it's, it's, you know, we're all going to have to figure this out in real time. This is a mindset switch to me. This is a big deal for me. And this is something that I'll have <laughs> Did I wake like, you up with something? <laughs> which is that we have to, like a lot of us are, are and Nick, I want to bring this up because you said that if you can capture an email, cell phone, home address, you always have a chance. And I, and I agree with the sense that whether it's a lead or you're dripping on people, and I've seen that work. But where, I, but, but where we have to agree most likely, Nick, is your success came from your demand that you grew online. It was people reaching out to you saying, I'm ready. You know, that, that joking comment goes back to that's what I think people should be hunting and trying to do. And it comes with a mindset switch. Because if you're in the boat of saying that I'm going to put this PDF online and I'm hoping people give me their email so then I can drip to them with my automatic campaign, I think that you're spending money on something that might work just enough for you not to turn it off. And it's something that you don't have enough time or mental equity or money that you start putting to something that I think is important. And that's where I start talking about podcasts and building brand and suffering because Oh, you may get your client in the first few weeks. It's not like every week after that becomes a client. There still is that roller coaster of entrepreneurship, which let's call it that because every advisor is pretty much in that boat. If you're being head fed clients, then you don't have the issue. So that's the way I think about it is we all have to be focusing on creating demand. And that's what building a brand is. People want to work with you, but why? Like, why are you different? What message are you putting out? And, and how can you really help people and solve their problem? And if you can keep putting out content around those areas and touching right, then people start to have demand for you. That's when you start building equity on yourself because you get, you, you get, nobody's creating content. I think when they get lost of, of, of the other way and listening to the metrics and we're all advisors calculating and we want that to work. We want X equals to work. It feels so comfortable, but the unscalable part of the marketing that I think is so important that really changes your business is letting go of the metric side of it and really working on focusing on at least different metrics in terms of what makes people really want to work with you and not just what is a little bit of intent and in, in meaning somebody went to my website, you know, what did I say there that you, you, you go from rubbing your eye to <laughs> snapping out of it. And I don't know what the hell happened <laughs> because I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of, I think I dance around, really it's two groups of people, two advisors. I dance around what advisors should do because somebody's so constricted, you almost can't create demand. 
That's like what you're telling me. And it's hard for me to tell you that or to focus on that. But it's almost where we're at is to say that, well, you're in you're in DM mode or whether you're not, whether you're knocking on doors physically or you're doing it virtually, that's the boat that you're in because you can't create demand. It's hard to do when you're so constricted. But I think for everybody else who can do that in a mixture of video and audio and all that stuff, that's when you start to figure out your strategy that starts to build on itself. You know, everybody has these little ideas and I think we're always copying a little bit, but you're not focusing on what brings, what builds on my own value and adds to people. Like, why would people really want to work with me? We're always just posting. And I, I, I think the reason I say it's a mindset switch is because I'll say that it's something I've been focusing on recently. And if I just say that word value, I don't think that's enough. But if I'm thinking about what creates demand, what builds my equity in terms of drawing people towards me like a gravitational pull, that's the focus I want to work. And I won't you give up on it. I believe in what you're saying, and and this is going to hit home with you, and it, it really resonates with Nick's most recent point that he just made. Do you know how many times I've had the conversation with a client or a potential client and that you have as well, Ryan, and then I'm sure, Nick, that your comment resonates uh, with this point that have said, oh, yeah, I love the stuff you're doing on LinkedIn, or I love the content you put out about whatever, and it was four months ago, or I loved the post where you shared, or I loved the email you sent that included this. And I'm, I literally have to rack my brain, and I'm like, what are they talking about? And it's like something from like 90 days ago, 120 days ago, five months ago, and I'm like, whoa, like, all right. Yeah, I mean, someone's paying attention, and they don't tell you they're paying attention. Right. It's true. I completely agree. And I'll agree with, and I'll add this to what Nick just said, is the I'm ready people are amazing for 15% in decision mode and then keep creating content um, because 85% will be ready in the future. And I agree. It's like you never know when people are going to be ready. So you're always putting out content. Um, and and of course, that's the case. I'm not saying don't send people emails or anything or, or don't, don't follow up. But I guess um, it's always like the, it's just the mindset of realizing that you want to try to get people to come to you. It doesn't mean you can't reach out to people, but that's that's what we're all looking for and what we're looking to do. And and making that shift um, is hard for some people, and it's hard to do advertising wise too. A little bit of what you know, I thought we were just you know sending people to our website, which I don't think is bad. But I started thinking in terms of ads, and like that's when you get into value and quality, and you're putting something in some front in front of somebody's face. What do they really want to see? that gets them to sign up. And like Nick said, maybe not everybody's in decision mode. And that's where the brand comes in and demand comes in is I think you almost put people in decision mode from walk, like from watching you. Think of all the people that weren't going to plan, but they were just watching over and over. And then they're like, you know what? Fine. Like, let me see what you're talking about. Um, and that's the thing that I think is so tricky is that demand and brand creates the I'm ready people or puts people in decision mode. Yep. Agreed. This is one of my favorite um, LinkedIn um, connections and friends, the man of mystery. Yeah. It does take a year. It takes yeah. a year to, it, it takes sometimes longer than a year, sometimes faster, but it takes forever to gain traction. I agree. Um, and it's, and it, the, the consistency and, and the momentum is the same thing that we always talk about in terms of investments. When you think about your first few years, you're putting into a 401k, you see it be a couple hundred dollars, then a thousand dollars, and then money starts making money. And, uh, I think content starts bringing in demand over time and it starts building on each other, you know, like, like interest, but it takes a long time to do. And it's just about sticking to it. 
the hardest part for people is that 60 to 90 day window. People commit to it for a couple of months. And this is why everybody gets super in shape you know, up until, uh, you know, Valentine's Day every year, because you can commit to it for so long. And then there's a literally a point in time with marketing or anything else that you just don't see the results that you expected within that 45, 60 days and mm-hmm. you bag it or you get lazy yeah. with it. And then two days lazy becomes five days lazy becomes two weeks lazy. And then it's like, yeah, I tried the marketing thing a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's where I'd look at is you can only look at the data perspective from a sense of, is this resonating? And did I give it enough time to see if it actually works? I think that's what's hard for people too, is you don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because if you're posting for months, and you don't even and you're not getting any engagement, then I would say you need to change something, you know, whatever that may be. But it's true. And I don't 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 give up on frame is but don't give up exactly, but maybe adjust. Um, So anything, um, Let's, you know, any comments you guys have, questions you have, let's get them in. Um, I don't want to, you know, spend forever on this topic. I think we've, we've talked about it a lot, but this was just something I was thinking about last night. I do want to share a little bit um, on a hobby mindset with Nick and get into it with him. He was uh, going back and forth with me over the weekend about sports cards. But outside of that, on the marketing side, um, any comments and questions you guys have? Anything from you, Ryan, that, that you want to talk about? No, let's do cards. Get your questions in while we're uh, while we're doing that. So Nick asked me, he's always asked me about what I have on the back wall here, and I'm always putting up a few different cards or whatever. Um, I was like many my age, I'm 38, I'll be 39 in a month, um, was heavy into sports cards growing up, stashed them away in my basement and haven't looked at them since uh, I pulled them out literally a year and a half ago and started to look on eBay and get into them again. And I'm just going to give a brief story as to kind of where I'm at with them. And this is a shout out to you, Nick, just to share this with you. Uh, October 2019, I got on eBay, looked at some sports cards, some of my favorite players, and they were really affordable. And I'll drop some numbers. I picked up like some rookie cards of guys I really like for like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 60 bucks. And I got a nice handful of them for a few hundred dollars. Um, I stashed them away over the winter. I didn't really pay attention to them again. COVID hits. We're all kind of bored sports cards start to take off and people are, you know, they're starting to pay attention to these things again. My wife and I have a baby in July and I'm sitting with the baby, feeding the baby bored. So I start to go on eBay and see what, you know, something sparked me. I go on eBay, I look at sports cards. The stuff I bought was like 15 X, like the $30 rookie card I bought in October of 2019. Fast forward to July of 2020, like not even a full year was, uh, like $400. And I was like, whoa. So then I took a closer look and started to really dig into what was going on. I saw that it was this crazy market taking off and especially the vintage stuff. So I started to kind of buy some things. So I built myself, I think part of it was the baby being home. And Ryan, you know, you can relate. You kind of, you don't really have a whole lot you can do, especially during COVID. Um, I, I built myself a nice collection. Um, Babies are a bummer, dude. <laughs> so Nick wanted me to share a few things. I've got um he said stick to some stuff from the 80s, but I, I think I've got some 70s up here. So one of the things I live in Philly. Um I'm a big Sixers fan, and one of the you know my all-time legend players that I really like is Dr. J. So I've started to build a small collection of Dr. J stuff, I'm not trying to get rich off of any any of it. Um I'm just trying to buy it while I still can afford it and and we'll hang on to it for quite a while. So I'll share a couple of those. This is a 77 tops Dr. J. 
Um, this is a cool one. Uh, just, you know, him just chewing a towel sitting on the sidelines. But the vintage stuff is the stuff that they can't overproduce and can't make any more of. So that's kind of the stuff that I'm into. Um, this is just the next year in 78. So I started to kind of get um, my hands on, um, you know, uh, some of this older, older stuff. And then the last one I'll share, which is obviously vintage for anyone who knows Michael Jordan. They know what the, you know, that Fleer... Uh, rookie card looks like this is a Julius Irving in 1986. I wish it was a Jordan rookie, but I cannot afford that. But um, <laughs> anyone who knows sports, not card, even I mean, not even in 2019, that was still an no, expensive card. I, I, bet. <laughs> I no, that that's the <laughs> holy grail um, yeah. of basketball cards, anyways. But anyway, yeah. that was you know Nick was asking about how I got into it, and that was it was a moment of me enjoying basketball, moment of me having a little bit of you know, a little bit more money and being older than when I was a, a, a kid and uh, COVID and a baby and all these things kind of came together and I've uh, built myself a nice collection. And um, that's what I put up on that wall for our show every day. You know, I'm still kicking myself because I have a friend that I don't really talk to where I gave, we had all 300 original Pokemon cards. And I think I mentioned this before, but yep. we had like, the holograms and I don't know at what capacity, like most of them weren't scratched or anything, but they were just in a binder, like regular cards, not like in plastic cases or anything. Um, but still it's crazy to see what nostalgia can, can do in the future. And it, and, it, and it's crazy to think about throwing anything away or what's going to be cool. You never know. Um, but uh, a lot of these trading cards I think are becoming really big. How long do you think this is going to carry into the future? Do you think this is something because we're all bored? Do you think it's something that would have happened anyway? So well, two points there. Pokemon, we've talked about briefly, has is having a moment, had really a huge moment this fall. It kind of followed the sports cards thing. And it was the era of people a little younger than me, like you, who um, that was more in their wheelhouse when they were in that collecting mode as kids. And the, the Pokemon thing went you know, batshit crazy after the basketball and football thing did this, this fall. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's come back to earth a little bit with the rest of the market. Uh, but to answer your question on, do I think it's sustainable? Yes. On the, on the vintage side, stuff that they cannot produce anymore and not even vintage. Let's even go back to 2016 or and younger mm -hmm. stuff that can't be overproduced will, because there's a, going to be a demand for it. It's right. what created the crash in the 90s and then could create another crash is now the printing companies start to go crazy to keep up with demand because Target and Walmart can't keep them in stores. And they're like, well, right. we're in business. Let's just print more. And that right. will obviously create a bubble on the modern market. But yeah. I don't think um, I, I don't you, you can't if somebody wants a 1986 Fleer Dr. J, there's only so many of them. They, they cannot yeah. make more of them. So I think that'll hold. I think it's crazy. You know, demand is high when people aren't even buying the cards. They're buying the boxes to sell them on eBay because they know people want the option to take what whatever's in there because they don't know. They love the idea of pulling it out of the box. And I remember th getting a little, we were talking about this, you know, just you and I, and I was like, well, let me go see what, what cards are doing. And I think it was like $50 for boxes and I couldn't find any. The only place I could find them is on eBay. You literally almost have to trade around just to get cards, at least at the time. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's just nuts. And, I bought uh, in yeah. that October 2019. I bought uh, 25 packs for 100 bucks. So they were that would probably would have broken down to uh, five boxes. Yeah. Um, those boxes they were 25 packs of 2014 basketball. Fast forward to today, that in that lot was 600 dollars. So it went up sixfold. So 
I mean, it's the, the market went super crazy, super hot. And it was obviously, I think, um, COVID and people being bored, you know, drove a lot of it and it's come back to earth. But, you know, I, I don't see a, a scenario in which it goes away again like it, it did, uh, unless there's a bubble, which there will be, which won't affect some of the older stuff. So gotcha. that's where I'm at with that. Plus, vintage people can't get hurt. You know, you have somebody who's really hot right now, I would imagine, who's got like a rookie card or something, and then they blow out their knee, and then right. the, the value probably goes way down. So, well, this is right, like Nick's probably my age, right? So Nick's talking, you know, that Ken yeah, Griffey Jr. area, you know, yeah. that 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 dream team era in the early '90s when there was just everything was available. But um, Clay's right, you know, there's I have plenty of friends that go nuts with this stuff, and um, the amount of businesses that have been created out of the card market has been really cool. I mean, there's stuff called subgrading where you send all your stuff to a guy who then categorizes it for you and then sends it to the grading agencies to be graded because a card without the case is worth uh, you know, 5% of the value. Yeah. So you sell a card that's been graded, um, you're, you're, you have something there. So gotcha. this is fun. Um, what do we listen to this post? This is a, this is from clay. I think it is. Or somebody else who's stolen his LinkedIn. Stolen user. Clay's moniker. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that blocked? I see him all the time on my phone. StreamYard does not like Clay. Great show. I'd love to hear your thoughts comparing the future of marketing efforts for advisors on generic social pl platforms such as Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter versus the rising niche purpose-built networks for various interest groups such as finance, fitness, and others. What could be the pros and cons of each? Size of the audience is a good starter, but what about the quality or if they're target customer audience there's a lot to unpack there yeah my brain is trying to formulate an answer to yeah, me something. as well um do you mind rewording a little bit clay in terms of this might not be clay so it's not <laughs> oh yeah that's true whoever linkedin user uh, i'd love to hear your thoughts comparing the future of marketing efforts for advisor on generic social platforms i don't know Versus rising niche purpose built networks. So, what are the purpose built like, networks? Like, like niche or like niche versus not niche. Is that kind of what it sounds like? Comparing because it's are kind there of networks for generic social platforms. What, what, what kind of networks are people in? That's my question to you, Ryan, as an advisor. Um, say that again. What kind of networks? Private networks, um, finance, fitness. Uh, you know, what other groups are people in? Do you mean where, like where you could market? That's what it sounds like they're asking. This person's asking. Oh, in terms of like where you golf or something like that? I don't know. Purpose built networks for various interest groups, such as finance. Like, are there groups that people are a part of that, yeah, like online country clubs for people who want to talk finance kind of thing? Like forums. I'm, um, I'm sure. I'm not sure. I guess my answer would always be probably a little bit of both i always wherever you know I, i'd have to i'd have to ask more specifics of exactly at least what that what that person's thinking so l let me know and i can i guess unpack this, it a little bit this must be a potential client of ours because this fits into the we've got to dig in a little deeper here <laughs> um i'm just uh versus rising niche purpose-built networks for various interest groups such as finance fitness and others I don't know. My brain hurts too much to try to figure out. And I'm sure it's a clear question. Maybe it was, maybe it's just, it's just, uh, I'm just trying to think of a good answer for you too. And I just have to think about it. Um, yeah. We just have to dig in, see who you're talking about, what the audience 
what the audience frame of mind is there, who they are, um, why they're there in the first place. Are they there to learn about finance? Are they there to be pitched finance, right? So you got to um, figure that out. So there's whoever is asking this question um, would love to chat more about it. We just need more detail on it. Yeah, and thinking about answering the end, like what could the pros and cons of each size of the audience is a good starter, but what about the quality or if they're a target customer audience? Uh, I think maybe what you're asking is like, is it is it worth it to post on Facebook because it's so general and there's like all these people, but it's not very focused. And then if you're in a specific group where you can kind of target the person, is it worth spending your time there? Maybe that's a little bit of part of where the question was going. That's what I get, at least from you saying generic social platforms. So is it worth it to spend time on social media where you're not sure where anybody is? And the thing I would say to that is, yes, I mean, obviously always going to those target like honed in groups where you know your market is, is a good idea. I think we're always a little bit shut off from that right now. Of course, if there's those online, online yacht club or whatever that may be, mm -hmm. wherever your focus is, you know, I don't know, something that, that's fine. What I would say about what you use in terms of the generic social media platforms is I agree that the the, the platforms are generic, but you don't have to be. So I would say use some of the language and I guess the lingo and whatever you do to talk to people in those those niche purpose-built networks, I guess, as your content to make it less generic so you're talking to the same group. So that's when you fix your language a little bit to hone in on your ideal customer. So again, it is a very gen it is a very generic, big open world. And that's why I think it's important to hone in. Uh, it makes it a little bit easier to talk to somebody when there's a title that says pharmacist or dentist or um, something. And then there's real value in there that when they read it, they go, oh, wow, you really understand dentists. So I don't know if that yeah. answered your question, but that was my attempt. Good attempt. Yeah, Thanks. I don't know. Um, good. People are still here. Must have been decent. So I don't know. I expect everybody to leave after fumbling around with uh, me not being able to read. So <laughs> appreciate everybody being here. Uh, another good show. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, obviously, another great show tomorrow. I think we're honing in on the topics that we're going to be doing for the rest of the week. Want to bring on, got to gotta, uh, track down Michael Gordon, make sure we pick a day um, so we can have him on. That's going to be a big show where we're, where we're really leaning into uh, whether you should stay with your broker or dealer or not, or more so. And we're not going to sit there and just beat up on broker dealers the whole time and feeling constricted. I want to bring a little bit of positivity and light to it and really answer some questions about what it looks like to looks like what it looks like to transfer. What does it look like to go independent? What does it feel like? Because I can only say that I saw somebody go from NPC to LPL and that was basically independent to independent. So it was, but it was still a switch and it was nerve wracking in terms of losing months of income. You're moving everybody's accounts over. You you're figuring out how you're gaining access to accounts while you're losing access over here. So you make sure you print out all these statements. It's, it, it feels very, very hectic. And usually when people are moving, it's because they feel like they're big enough to save some of their money. So there's a time period, but there's people that can help you do that. And that's what I'm interested in talking to Michael Gordon about. What does it really feel like, look like money wise? If you made the jump, because that's what people want to know. If I left, what do, what is it going to do to me? And obviously, if all your customers don't come, all your all your relation all your relationships don't follow, you know that's something you can calculate. But what does it look like from a technical standpoint? That's what we're going to get into. So we're going to start hammering that, and uh, I'm excited to talk about that. <clears throat> Let's um yeah, real quick while you're on that, I, I've got a couple ideas, and and you've brought them up as potential guests. I think having um in RIA on who started within the last 18, 24 months um, to yep. see what their journey has been like and what yes. they've had to go through. 
Yeah. I think that was a, a good one. Yeah. Um, there's two, a couple in the back of my mind that I want to run by you, me coming from the wholesale asset management side of the business. I'd like to bring on some folks who have, you know, whether they're wholesalers, um, I, I've, you know, I've put out a question in, in the past of saying, advisors, who, what wholesalers, can you think of wholesalers that you've worked with that have just been pure value and that, that are rock stars that don't just knock you down to sell you all the time? And people have mentioned certain names and I might want to reach out to maybe one of them and just bring them on and say, tell me about your the way you sell because clearly whatever you're doing is working with your advisor community because they don't see you as a salesperson. They see you as a partner. Yeah, that world's even worse, surprisingly. I think because when people are going, when it, when it feels like B to C rather than B to B, it makes you a little less human and a little more numbers oriented when you're reaching out to a business owner. You stop treating them like a person, I realized, which is interesting because I, I don't know. I think that being even overly human in that aspect would make you stand out. you know. And I think that's something that Kristen said that was really big was H to H, like human to human. That's a, that's a common term I keep hearing, um, but I like it. I, li- I like that idea because at least it puts the, the, the frame of mind of when you're reaching out to an individual, you're not like reaching out to a lead or something, you're reaching out to a person. That world is, a, is as broken, and you can make an argument, potentially more broken than the advisor world. That wholesale side is a more it's, it was terrible. It is terrible. People like, I I can't even, I can't even explain really, unless I already knew them, which would be basically a referral from somebody they knew from Colin, anybody knew presenting themselves to me. Um, Well, I guess a couple people were cool. You could tell they were real, but it was basically scripted. You heard, you heard two names, you heard the word internal, external, and the company name. And I was already like, what's happening? You know, I didn't even know, I, I didn't even know what large was going cap. On. You're like, whoa. Like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Ta- yeah. Like, like I'm going to believe that your specific large cap that you're calling me about is going to outperform another large cap. You're not even, yeah. we don't talk about, we don't talk to people about beating them on performance. You're not going to beat us on performance. So I think that people have to think about that. They have to really know who they're talking to. Uh, I don't know. Well, I could dig into that one for hours. I've spent yeah. 15 let's years. Let's do that world. soon. Let's say let's say marketing from a whatever that is. Let's let's title that and figure that out this week because that's a good one that that I could we could rant on for a good 30 minutes for sure. Yeah. Um I also want to, you know, there's a potential guest um on the human side, human behavior from Accenture that I'm I'm uh, I'm good friends with and I, I think cool. that might be something to talk about there. It's, you know, the hard part about the guests is how do we bring someone on that provides the advisor value, the audience value? And it might not be someone who says, do this, do that. It, it might be from a higher level of just kind of thought provoking content. So I think that's where you and I need to go with this. Yeah. And I'm trying to be direction oriented, but really I do think that a big part of marketing is changing the mindset as hokey as it is. So one of the things I like to keep at high level is that is that it's not, you don't need permission for the intricate details and the strategy uh, what you may need is help guidance, but you don't need permission. And that's where the high level switch comes from is that if you're not posting at all, you just need to post. And, but if you're posting a lot and not getting anywhere, then you need to start to make tweaks. Fair. Yeah. Well, this is good stuff, dude. What a great start to the week. Absolutely. Excited to see you guys tomorrow morning at nine 30 as always. And we're teetering with a night show this week. I think we were talking about doing Thursday. I haven't told my wife yet, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. It just means she'll be a little bit more upset than when, if I told her over the weekend. So, uh, uh, I think we should do a night show. I want to try to do that this week. I'll confirm it for sure. And we'll start, we'll start, uh, posting about it to let you know, but I think that would be a lot of fun and give the West coast people a chance to catch up and actually see one of our live shows. So, 
appreciate you guys being here. Thanks so much. And we'll see you tomorrow. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening. We hope that you find value in this show. We hope that you find value in MCO Advisors. You finding success means everything to us. If you found value in this show, please leave us a rating. Thank you all. Talk soon.